Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week, and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription, and your donation will help pay our music license, buy audio gear, and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hello and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for young ears. Tamara O'Dine is a journalist, news anchor, voice coach and podcaster with the ABC in Melbourne. She is a mum to two young boys who are currently 12 and 8. Thank you for chatting with me today. It is my pleasure. Now, if you were stuck on a desert island and you could take one meal, one drink and one personal item, that's Kit, having a scratch, uh, what would they be? Am I going on my own? Yes. Okay. Do I have to cook the meal or is no, it just magically? No, no, just... Just right. appears. Okay, great. I would like, please, a never-ending supply of seafood linguine with an obscene amount of grated parmesan on the top. Good. Yes. There's no such thing as too much. No. And then I'll have, with that, a really icy cold crisp rosé, please. Okay, done. Thank you. And my personal item would be a fully loaded Kindle. So that I can read all of the books on my stack uninterrupted. What's on your stack? At the moment, mm. I've got Helen Garner's diaries to read next. I'm very excited about that. Uh, Emily Bitto's new book as well. Yes. And I'm currently reading a book by Kate Mildenhall called The Mother Fault, which I'm loving and highly recommend. Oh, Okay. So I recently finished your podcast, The Good Divorce, and it was so good. Thank you. Um, what inspired you to do it? Well, I got divorced. That'll, in that'll short, <laughs> uh, and shortly in the immediate aftermath of the, all of that, I was chatting with a dear friend of mine who's a radio producer at Radio National at the ABC, and she had gone through a similar thing as well. So we got chatting about that, and she said, I think, I think there's something in this. We need to 
do do a podcast. A lot of people are getting divorced. Even just, you know, anecdotally, the people around us in our own orbits were going through marriage breakdowns. It must just be that stage and stage, really. Yeah. Uh, and so we kept pitching the idea to the ABC and eventually they accepted the pitch. So we produced six episodes through 2020's lockdowns. So we did it remotely. Uh, and it was great. It was a really good project to have, actually. And I found that even though I was a few years out the other side of my separation and divorce, retrospectively you can learn a lot as well. So your boys are 12 and Mm 8 now. Um, Did you go through an identity shift after you became a mum? Absolutely, yeah. Just remembering back 12 years to that that time. Um, Because, you know, once you've – I mean, I had my kids when I was in my 30s, so I'd spent a big chunk of my life working – in a professional setting, mm-hmm. so where you get to hone skills and perfect things, and I am by my very nature a perfectionist. So suddenly you have this tiny screaming, non-sleeping thing, and you suck at it. <laughs> well, that's how I felt. Anyway. Yeah, that's how um, that's how I felt. It's how a lot of people I've spoken to yeah, feel. Yeah, uh, and he did not sleep as well. He's the most divine twelve-year-old. He is a champion sleeper. And he's really happy and funny and great to be around. But he was really tricky as a baby. So he would sleep up until midnight every night and then wake hourly with a lot of crying and screaming after that. So we went to sleep school twice. And, yeah, at the time that was a real blur. And even looking back on it now, it's sort of fairly hazy, I've got to be honest. But then when my second was born, and there's four years between them, so I think that age gap might have made things a bit easier. Mm -hmm. The little one was a vastly different baby. He was one of those kids who slept. I did not think that they existed. I used to think people were just bullshitting me when they would say, (laughs) oh, yeah, sleeps from seven till seven. (laughs) And then I kind of hated them a little bit as well. Um, So, yeah, the little one was a much easier baby. And I think, too, I went into it setting my expectations really low. So before he was even born, I would sort of say to myself, look, if I can get a slab of three hours sleep, I'll be happy. Anything above that is a bonus. So I think my mindset was really different going into it the second time. And now that your kids aren't little, little, Mm. um, and you've gone through your divorce, have you found yourself in another new phase? Yeah, I have. And maybe that's, that's to do with their ages as well. So they're at great ages at the moment where you can joke with them. They can take the piss out of you. It's, they're great company. They're your buddies. They are your buddies. Well, Yeah, to a point. I mean, one's on the cusp of puberty, so that's not going to last for long, I dare say. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, their age means that we have a – there's a different dynamic with us. Mm. And also, I guess, too, coming out of my – emerging from that separation and divorce, with any significant change in your life, you are altered in some way, I dare say. Yes, And so are there any particular things that you've done or tools that you used to help you discover and explore who you were post-divorce? Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but 
a lot of times when people are breaking up, they'll take up running. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they'll suddenly start doing fun runs or training for something, God knows what. But they are literally and metaphorically running away from their relationship. I started running towards the end there and um, not a gifted runner, I must be honest. I'm more more comfortable in the water <laughs> and I've completely buggered my knees. So running's no longer a thing but I did really like the freedom of it. I like just plugging in some music, tuning out from whatever it was that was going on with just work, life, mm. everything um, and just having that time for myself became really important. Something that I did do... Uh, in the aftermath of my separation, maybe around the same time that all of that was unfolding actually, was I started a choir with some friends. And it was something that I was talking to a dear friend of mine at work about who is a singer. I'm not, by the way. And I'd said to her, like, oh, God, I just have this real urge to sing. She's like, all right, cool, let's sing. I'm like, no, 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 not like that. I want to sing with people. I want to sort of be held in this space where it's a safe safe place to make some noise together. Yeah. And she said, well, sure, why don't we just start a choir? I'm like, well, sure, right, how do we even do that? <laughs> she said, I don't know, we can do it, it's fine, we'll just attract like-minded people, I'm sure it'll work out. Anyway, running alongside that, we had seen these two sisters in our local area just at exercise classes and, you know, around about and thought, they're really cool, aren't they? I'd love to be friends with them. <laughs> Have you ever tried to make friends with someone as an adult? Oh, it's really hard. It is. It's a bit awkward. It is awkward, but you've kind of just got to, you know, grow some lady balls and do it. Yeah. So we did. We, we knew they could sing because they'd break into song during exercise classes with these incredible voices. So we sort of crushed on them a little bit. And we bit the bullet and asked them out for dinner. Went on a date. We went on a friend date with these women, and the story goes that on the on their way there, the sisters were like, "Is this weird? We're actually going on. <laughs> is this, don't just be cool. Don't say anything embarrassing. Just you know, keep a lid on it." And and my friend Harriet and I were also on our way there, going, "Oh my god, I'm weirdly nervous." Anyway, shortly into our dinner, it became apparent that we're all each other's people, and we just had the best night and Harriet at one point went, Tam wants to start a choir. Do you want to, do you want to be in it? And they went, yes, we do. So the next day everybody was sending sheepish hungover text messages to each other going, now that choir this choir thing. thing, are we serious? And we were. We set up a rehearsal space. Three weeks later we had our first rehearsal with 12 people and it's been going now for nearly four years. There's 50 people in it. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, what kind of stuff do you see? Things that you would not expect a choir to sing. So it's almost an anti-choir. <laughs> it's not professional. There are no auditions. It's a very safe space. Most people in it don't read music. So we sing songs by the Ramones, the Violent Femmes. Um, we do this 80s divas mashup medley that always gets a really good reception. So we do gigs and it's so fun. And in that time I clung to that like a life raft mm. um, and also in the aftermath of my separation I bought myself a paper diary with not a dear diary journal <laughs> but a like a calendar diary and with a week to an opening so that in a brighter colour than all of the dentist appointments and all the 
boring day-to-day stuff. I would write things to look forward to. So every second Wednesday night in big purple writing would be choir rehearsal. So I'd be able to look at the week and say, well, if everything else is just a complete bin fire, I at least know that that night, that two hours is going to be wonderful. And I ended up, I still do that actually. That really, really helped me. And I would probably recommend that even in the aftermath of having kids too, just so that you can see even when you are feeling swamped, there's still good stuff in there. And if there's not, build it. Yes. Even if it just means go for a walk, go for a swim, have breakfast with someone, call somebody who you haven't for a while, just so that you can build in some positive things when everything just feels like it's getting on top of you. And so how do you feel about yourself now? I'm actually in a really good place. Um, And maybe that's to do with being in my mid-40s, but I've got to a point in my life where I realise that you just have to accept things. Everything's temporary in your life. So after I split up with my husband, there was a moment when I sort of thought, do you know what, this whole package right now is as good as it's ever going to get because (laughs) I'm getting older and I just have to accept that. So embrace what you've got. And I think that was a really liberating thing as somebody who, you know, I look at how I probably thought about myself in my 20s and really unhelpful negative self-talk. Awful face. It really is. And I look at photos of when I was in my 20s and think, oh, you poor darling. (laughs) You had it so good but you had no idea. No, you just mentally beat yourself up when you're in your 20s. And there's a lot of imposter syndrome as well too, I think, at that age. And you still, well, I was still sort of finding my own sense of things. I was filtering my life for the people who I was going to continue to take with me. Um, And I was still developing my own sense of the world and my own sense of style about things. Um, Whereas I think when you're in your 40s, you become much better at casting off people who do not serve you, who make you feel shit about yourself and surrounding yourself with your people. And I really feel like the point I'm at in my life now, I have an awesome tribe who I would donate a kidney to, any of them if they needed it. Um, And there's a lot of love in my life. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 
I'd like to talk about your work a mm. little bit. I read an article where you described having a panic attack minutes before you went on air and it was about three months after your divorce. What led up to that moment for you? It was three months after the separation, so we were right in the thick of things. I hadn't told any of my colleagues that I'd separated and that was mostly because not out of shame or anything like that, but work was just this pristine space where I could walk through the door and not think about any of that stuff. Uh, even just the first day that I didn't wear my rings as, my, as well, my wedding and engagement ring, I felt really nervous about that because I felt like it would be this beacon on air of, look, I have broken up with my partner. <laughs> no one noticed. <laughs> At all. So that was absolutely pointless worrying about that. Um, But in the lead up to that time when I had a panic attack at work, I thought that I was, you know, just getting through the day and everything was fine. I'm not going to talk about it with all these people. They don't need to know. Um, But I wasn't fine. And the week prior I had been to see my GP and she is a no-fuss sort of no-nonsense kind of character who I love. And I told her that I had separated from my husband and she went, okay, so how are you dealing with that then? I said, well, you know, I'm trying to eat well and exercise regularly. Running. I'm running. <laughs> I'm ruining my knees. <laughs> um, you know, I plan to meditate. Never did. Um, and she goes, she's just looking at me with a head cocked to one side. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe you might need some antidepressants? Oh, no, I'll be fine. No, I've got it. I've got this sorted. It's fine. And she goes, all right, I'll probably see you in a few weeks, I dare say. And I drove away from that thinking, all right, what are you? I've got this. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, a very short time later had a panic attack 30 seconds before we were live to air for the 7 o'clock news. And in that moment it was just this sudden feeling like I was drowning. I'm standing there in front of the camera in the auto queue under all of the lights with a big red second hand on a clock ticking towards the inevitable, which was seven o'clock with the opening sting. It was awful. And I have an open earpiece tucked into my ear so that I can hear the control room staff. And my director, Pete, who I've worked with for many years, just took one look at me and went, are you okay, Tam? I went, no, I'm either going to vomit or drop to the ground. So just be ready to cut to something. I don't know what the hell he would have cut to. Maybe the Sydney Bulletin? I'm not sure. Um, I could tell from his reaction that he knew it was serious because I don't often freak out about anything at work. I'm pretty calm. And he and the producer must have exchanged a look and made sure that I was sitting down at the desk, not standing for the rest of the bulletin. And I clamped onto the desk with my thumbs on the top and all of my fingers underneath, just clinging on for dear life for the rest of the bulletin. And then as soon as it was over, I scarpered to my car and just fled. And then, of course, went to the doctor the next day. And she said, I thought I might see you. Here's a script take these, go to Queensland, go and stay with your mum and get your head around what's going on. And I did. Um, 
I highly recommend that course of action. (laughs) (laughs) Don't think you've got this. In all likelihood, you probably don't. (laughs) Well, because you've got a really high-profile and I imagine competitive job, um, how long was your maternity leave after each of your babies? The first block was six months. I was really conscious of not wanting to take too much time off work. And in fact, just leaving the building on my last day before mat leave was such an overwhelming feeling. I've worked full time in the media since I was 17. So, and I was sort of in my early 30s then. So I had never worked part time. I'd never had that feeling of leaving the building thinking, what the hell's going to happen next? Well, and also on a number of fronts for a role that you've got no idea what you're doing. Yeah, correct. Uh, but mercifully, I had a really wonderful boss at the time. She was the head of news in Sydney, Kate Tawney, three kids herself. She called me on my way home when I was driving home just to say, well done, have a great experience with your baby. Don't worry. Everything will still be here when you get back. Don't think about it. And that was exactly what I needed in that moment, bless her. Mm. Um, So I only took six months and foolishly, I should have probably taken more, but I came back and was doing the whole expressing in the changing room and, you know, so tired. But you muddle through. Mm. The second baby I had, I think, eight months off, a little bit longer because I was a bit more relaxed I think, just in general, Uh, and also realised this is probably going to be my last baby. I don't really want to um, hurry it. Mm. I want to savour it. Uh, But that was tricky coming back to work that time because in my absence, a former colleague no longer there had been, who'd been filling in for me, had done a bit of white anting and had managed to take one of my days off me without me knowing until I got back to work. So that was really confronting to come back to work and find that, oh, you know how you had that job X number of days a week? It's actually we've given one to this person. Yeah, so that that was pretty discombobulating actually. Mm. Um, had not- that been a concern? Did you Did you feel that there was a risk in taking maternity leave that that would – change your career or set you back? Yeah, and I I think that most women feel that to some degree. Mm. You know, what's this going to look like when I come back? Will I be able to step straight back into that? And in my case, I was now working part-time after having worked full-time for all of those years. So I sort of crafted this role that meant that I could um, share the, the workload with my then husband and do all of the parenting together and all that kind of stuff. So we'd really figured out how to run that tight ship, um, organised because of my I've never had a nine to five job. Working in the media is not a nine to five situation. So I was working weekends predominantly uh, and late at night. So we'd figured out how we were going to sort the childcare situation. It was all figured out. And then to find out that actually, so yeah, so that was something that I fought and won ultimately. But um yeah, I had to. That was something that I wasn't quite expecting to face when I went back to work, and it was a bit of a rude shock, to be honest. And was that tricky, or is it still tricky, um, 
because of the kind of job you have, if you have a sick kid or, um, you know, school or daycare or someone calls at school now, um, how do you juggle that now? I'm lucky that I have an excellent workplace that is peopled with people in a similar situation to me. So it's never bad and I have a really good teamwork situation with my ex. So COVID was really good for us actually because we had to work together and we do. I think we do that well. That's nice. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I imagine there are lots of layers when you get divorced mm-hmm. um, and in your podcast you said that it was a really difficult time and experience for you um, but you'd still need to parent and focus on your kids so is it hard to be a good parent when you're going through that? It is but I think the thing that I have really taken on board from doing that podcast with Maria was that you have to have your kids at front of brain the entire time. It doesn't matter what's going on in the background in terms of life logistics or frustrations or whatever. Kids are privy to all of that. They are sponges. They pick up a a cranky tone of voice, a tense body posture. Don't ever badmouth your ex in front of your kids because they're soaking all of that up and all it does is make them feel guilty for loving the other person. So as difficult as it might be at times, you have to just suck it up and be nice. That's really the only way forward to minimise any damage. It's still going to be hard. It's a really – it's the opposite of fun, getting divorced. Mm. Um, and I mean, we should have called the good divorce the less shit divorce because, you know, <laughs> it was basically about making it a bit easier for people or just giving people different ways to think about it so that they can move through each step of the process with all of that front of brain. Um, so yeah, so trying to minimize the harm and the toxicity, I think, that your kids are privy to it should be number one priority. Did you or do you now still let your kids in on how you're feeling? Or I suppose how much did you, they would have been a bit younger, but how much did you show or hide in terms Never of Never showed them how I was feeling about the breakup ever. Yep. But I am really open with my kids. So if I've had a bad day for whatever reason... Um, I'll be pretty open about that. If I'm stressed about something, we'll talk about it because I try and foster an environment where they can come to me with any of their concerns or worries. And being boys in particular, I want to make sure that they are in touch with their emotions and their feelings too. So I'm pretty much an open book with them, whether I'm happy or sad or frustrated or stressed. Uh, but I don't ever let them in, I, and I didn't when when we were splitting up. I think that's really important because they're going through their own whirl of emotions as well. That's a really confusing cocktail for everybody. Was that hard for you to manage their feelings on top of yours? Yes, but um, I have an excellent counsellor 
And all of it was planned out. So in terms of even just how my ex and I were going to tell the kids, we went and saw a counsellor about that to make a plan. Uh, And then how to conduct ourselves in the aftermath of that conversation. So constantly offering the kids an opportunity to talk about it, checking in with them regularly and not minimising anything that they felt. All of it's fair game and you will whether you're an adult or a child, go through the whole gamut of emotions when there's a a split happening in a family. So it's about giving that some airtime, seeing it for what it is, acknowledging it and saying, yeah, that must be really hard. I'm really sorry this is so hard. And sitting with that for a bit. I think that's probably good advice for anyone at any stage of Mm. life is not to (laughs) deny how you're feeling about things. Um, but, yeah, it was a concerted effort on both of our parts actually to to have that open flow of communication around it. Do you have any regrets about how you handled your divorce? No. That's good. I don't. Um, well, my, my next question was what parts are you proud of but you sort of, well... I mean, I'll let you answer, but it sounded like you answered before. Yeah, I'm I'm really proud of my kids. I was talking to my eldest the other day who just got back from school camp and he said they were all in their bunks at night and he was the only kid whose parents were divorced. And the other boys were asking him, so what's it like? What's it like being in a house household of, of divorced parents? And I was so fascinated to hear his answer. And he said to them, oh, you know, the first year was pretty hard, but now it's just normal, which kind of broke me a little bit. (laughs) I feel so proud that, you know, yes, the first year was hard. It's a massive adjustment. Change in any way in people's lives is really hard to deal with. But yeah, it would have. It was a stressful time for everybody for varying reasons. Um, but now we've got to the point where there is a, a flow of movement between the two houses. There's clear communication between the two houses. My ex is an excellent father, so I know that when the kids are there, they've got everything that they need and more. Um, and it, there's. There's that sort of level of trust. And also, you know, I spoke earlier about acceptance. You've also got to accept as a single parent that you're not going to be with your kids all the time. I actually found that really hard during lockdown. There was a moment where I felt sad that I wasn't with my kids 24-7. I had that moment of, God, I wish I was – I still lived with my kids all the time. But I reflected on it and – they're safe and happy and loved and cared for with their dad. And I think that the time that I have apart from my kids actually makes me a better mum when I am with them. When we're not in lockdown, I'm busy. I make myself really busy. I've got my choir. I've got all these other things that I do in my life. So there's probably not as much time to dwell on it, but during lockdown I really did have time to to ruminate on that. How much time do they spend with each of you? It's 50-50. So in the early days of our separation, we did a week on and a week off, mostly so that the kids could 
keep their routines. And we also, for the first six months, bird nested. Have you heard of that term before? It's where the kids stay in the nest or stay in the family home and the parents move in and out of the house at different times. So, for example, I would move out on a Thursday or a Friday morning go and stay at my best mate's house for the whole weekend until, say, Monday, and then he would shift out for the work week. And it sort of worked with our working hours um, and it just meant the kids could stay in their rooms with all of their stuff and we just sort of moved in and out around them. Uh, and then, yeah, once we'd moved out of the house, it was week on, week off. That's tough. A week's a really long time not to see your kids. Mm-hmm. So now we're doing 5522. And that works well. My ex lives really close by, a couple of k's away. So, you know, there's usually in that slab of five days a point where someone's got to drop some school uniforms over or someone needs their Pokemon cards or, you know, so there's there's a little drop in at some point and a quick cuddle and phone calls and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. So for us at the moment, it's working well, 5522 split. What's something that you would say to other parents that's empowering? That nothing is forever. And as soon as you realise that, you can get out of your own head and stop worrying. So, for example, when my first baby did not sleep, I just thought, this is my life now. I am going to be a shell of my former self because (laughs) I'm not getting enough sleep. But as I said before, he's a happy, rested child now. (laughs) A sleeping child. (laughs) With a great sense of humour and never cries. You know, he's a really stoic, solid patient. It's it's amazing. Um, So, yeah, nothing, nothing is forever. And the other thing I would say as well is good enough is good enough. You don't have to be the best at everything. You don't have to be a perfectionist when it comes to parenting. Was that a hard lesson for you yeah, to learn? It was. It really was. Just let it go. Because before you know it, they'll be off to high school and communicating in grunts and being a bit smelly and uh, <laughs> not giving up the hugs quite as often <laughs> as possible. I kind of want to bonsai my kids at the moment because they're super snuggly. I'm getting heaps of good, yummy snugs. But yeah, I feel like I'm on borrowed time there. Hope not. Thank you for chatting with me. This has been a really lovely chat. Thanks for coming to my house and chatting with me. Thanks for having me and Kit. (laughs) It's nice to meet Kit too. Yeah, she's finally calmed the (laughs) fun. Sorry. No, no. Thank you so much, Tamara, for the insightful chat today. There is a link in the show notes to Tamara's podcast, The Good Divorce. Even if you're not getting divorced, it's a really fascinating series. I found it very interesting as a child of divorce, even all these years later. Mummification is produced and hosted by me, Brody Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.